Good morning. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 8? If you're new with us, we welcome you. It's good to see you this morning. Just to let you know, we are working our way through John's Gospel here at Calvary. And uh, we, uh, this morning, find ourselves in chapter 8, where Jesus and the Pharisees have gotten into a highly explosive confrontation with each, which he, with each other regarding spiritual truth. Of course, Jesus, as the truth, came into the world, a world full of lies and spiritual deception, to declare God's truth to this world, whereas the Pharisees had embraced Satan's lies. And this was the confrontation. This was the most heated exchange throughout his entire ministry. But please don't think for a second that Jesus was in the flesh because he was pretty hard on these Pharisees. The Lord Jesus Christ never got in the flesh. He never uh, uh, erupted with, uh, with uh, emotional rage. This was uh, righteous indignation. He came to proclaim truth that would set men and women free from the devil's control and send them to heaven. And the devil, using the Pharisees and many others like them, were trying to keep people in spiritual darkness and bondage. This is why he was so upset. This is why he comes across so strongly. And so, as we have been saying, this led the Lord Jesus to go four rounds with these guys, uh, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and currently we are looking at uh, the third round, a round we've entitled Freedom and Bondage. Let's just pick it up in verse 44. And by this time, things have really gotten to, well, I think they've uh, reached a, a, an exploding point. But uh, they earlier had said, well, you know, our father is God. And Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Folks, the battle between God's truth and Satan's lies goes back all the way to the beginning of time, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And this is such an important subject. I want you to turn to Genesis 3 because I think it warrants our time to spend a little time on it. It's given it's so important to understand. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Let me stop there. In Genesis 3, the serpent isn't specifically identified as Satan. However, when we look at other scriptures, they clearly point out that the serpent here is none other than Satan himself. In Ezekiel 28, verses 13 through 19, God, calls, God tells us that Satan was in the garden of God, Eden. That the devil was in Eden, the garden of God. And in Revelation chapters 12 and 20, we see a dragon that is then identified as that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan. The word cunning in uh, the Hebrew in verse 1 of Genesis 3 is a word that means intelligent, shrewd, which describes a creature unlike our serpents today. What this creature looked like before the fall, 
how, he, how he got around, how beautiful he was. Did he talk all the time? We don't know. We don't know. But verse 1, The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You, and the you is plural down through verse 5, You and your husband, has God not said that you shall not eat, or has God said, you indeed you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, in John's Gospel, chapter 8, when Jesus referred to Satan as the father of lies, who was a liar from the beginning, this, no doubt, was a reference to Genesis 3, where Satan, the father of lies, offered up a series of lies, the first lies, ever he fed the human race, and he does so right here with Adam and Eve. The very first lie of the devil was to tell Eve that, listen, God didn't tell her the truth. God didn't tell her the truth. Notice she doesn't come right out and call God a liar. Satan is much too subtle for that. First he tries to get Eve to doubt what God said. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Some of the newer translations put it this way. Did God really say? Here we have the first question in the Bible posing the first dilemma in human history. There were no dilemmas before this one. The question is carefully crafted by Satan to start Eve down the path of doubting God's word. You see, he knows that doubting the word of God will inevitably lead to, to rejecting the will of God and that will cause then Eve to do whatever seems right in her own eyes. That's what he wanted. He wanted to move her away from absolute truth to more of a relativistic approach to God's word. As one author correctly put it, he said, and I quote, And for the first time in human history, the most deadly spiritual force was covertly smuggled into the world. What was it? The assumption that what God said is subject to human judgment end quote the attack centered on the one prohibition that god had placed in adam and eve the one tree he said they could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil his point satan's point seems to have been to try to convince eve and then get her later to convince her husband adam that god is unnecessarily restrictive and narrow in other words he is saying to her, Eve, God wants to limit your freedom and rob you of the fulfillment you deserve. Does that sound familiar at all? Now, not only did that undermine the word of God, it was a direct frontal assault on the, word of, on the uh, character of God. I mean, how can God be all loving and all good if he withholds things from us that are beneficial? And if so, how can we, we really trust him to control our lives? Satan, the master liar and deceiver, right here tries to get Eve to think that he cares more about her welfare than God does. God, he implies, is trying to keep from her something that is good. While he, the devil, wants her to have the full freedom to do what she wants and experience she wants, in other words, to have life in all of its fullness. He wants her to have the fullest life possible. God, he's hindering you from having uh, fun, from having a good life. Why is he so narrow? I want to let you be free. 
I want you to experience everything you think is worthwhile experiencing. Well, now Eve answers Satan, you know, that, well, God did say we can eat from all the trees in the garden, except for the one in the midst of the garden. He said that we can't eat from that tree, nor can we touch it, lest we die. Now, why she felt the need to embellish what God said, I'm not sure. God said, don't eat from the tree. She said, nor touch it. God never said that. Look, don't help God out. There are Christians that want to embellish what God says to kind of help God make his point. Don't do that. Don't add to the word. Don't take away from the word. Read the end of Revelation. That never works out well for you. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. First, Satan tells her, You can't trust God's word, Eve. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. His way isn't the path of true fulfillment. And then secondly, he tells her, you won't surely die. In other words, he's telling her, and the whole human race, by the way, you can do whatever you think is right, even if it goes against what God has said, and there won't be any consequence for it, no judgment. Guys, this is a message that Satan is preaching to our world through every medium at his disposal. TV, music, movies, etc. Even through the advertising. Now, several years ago when I first presented this truth, at that time, and I haven't kept up with it, but at that time, certain uh, companies had uh, mottos or taglines that they were using to sell their product. I'll share with you three. Ford Motor Company, no boundaries. Outback Steakhouse. No rules. Another company that I forgot the name of said, live outside the lines. In other words, the big lie Satan wants people to buy into that they, is that they can have their lives without God's rules, without God's laws, and there won't be a day of reckoning coming. No consequences, no judgment, just pure personal fulfillment and freedom. And why is this a message that so resonates with people? I don't think it's hard to figure out. Because it strikes right at the heart of our fallen, rebellious nature. That says, I, you know, nobody matters more than me. And I know what's best for me more than God does. If they even believe in God today. Guys, that attitude, that mentality goes all the way back to our first parents in the garden. When Adam and Eve declared their independence from God and His word by choosing to follow what they wanted instead of what he had commanded. Now fast forward 6,000 years, and we see that attitude in full bloom in our society where the prevailing attitude in our culture is, and I'm paraphrasing what many are saying, no one knows what will make me happy more than me. And my personal happiness, although they may not say it in these words, this is where they're coming from, and my personal happiness is what life is all about. And so I don't want anyone, including God, telling me how to live my life. I want the freedom to make my choices and do whatever I feel is right and whatever makes me happy. That is the general attitude of people today. Now listen, since God has built us 
and the Bible says has written his laws in our hearts, whenever we violate a commandment of God, an alarm system goes off to tell us we have just violated something God has said. That alarm system is guilt. When God has written his laws in our hearts so that whenever we violate one of God's laws, we feel guilty because we have broken his law. Now, guilt doesn't feel good, does it? People want to live the way they want to live, but they don't want the guilt that goes along with it. So they have to do one of two things. First, either they have to get away, do away with God altogether. No God, no guilt, right? There's no God. No God's looking over my shoulder telling me what I can and cannot do. So they do away with God altogether. And that's the, the reason behind the neo-atheism movement today. More and more young people are becoming atheists because they're doing away with God. I know of one young guy who said this very thing. I don't believe in God because I want to do what I want to do and I don't want God looking over my shoulder. Well, at least he's honest. At least he's honest about it, okay? So do away with God, no God, no guilt. Other people, because they do believe there's a God, they want to believe in God, they still want to live any way they want to live and yet still feel they're right with God or living a good life or are a good person, what they do is they take God's absolute word his absolute commandments they're not the ten suggestions they're the ten commandments right and what they do is they they say well they're not absolute truth is relative truth is whatever you want it to be whatever you believe it to be now i'm god now i'm calling the shots i'm writing the standards and i can now live any way i want because i don't feel Having sex out of marriage or out of wedlock is a sin because in my worldview, with my truth, it's not. We love each other. It's all that matters. And you fill in the blanks. We see this everywhere today. And it got its start in the Garden of Eden. When Satan got Eve to believe it wasn't what God had said that was important, it's what she felt. And she looked at the tree and said, oh, well, the fruit looks good. Uh, it's desirable looking fruit. And so she ate and gave to her husband and he ate. And that was the beginning of all our troubles. Verse 6. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, was pleasant to the eyes, tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And so guys, Eve, of course, with the prodding of the, of the serpent's help, uh, became the first person on earth to doubt and then deny the validity and authority of God's word, opting instead to do what seemed right in her own eyes. And in so doing, she became a judge over God's word. Instead of allowing the word of God to be the judge and final authority over her life and conduct. But once again, here's the big problem with that. And one of the biggest lies that the devil whispers into a person's ear when he's encouraging them to disobey God's word. Here it is. That they won't have any consequences to deal with for doing so. There won't be any consequences for doing what Satan is telling them to do. Violate God's word. We see it right here with Eve, right? God had told her and her husband not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 2, verse 17. For he said, For in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. What did Satan tell her? Go ahead and eat. You will not surely die, Genesis 3, verse 4. 
In other words, there won't be any consequences for disobeying God. I mean, that's a major component in the lies that the devil tries to get people to believe and act upon, that they can disobey God, they can disobey what God has said with impunity. However, whenever we disobey God's commands, there will always be consequences. They're just built into the actions. As someone has said, choices have consequences, and those consequences are unavoidable. While it is true that we have the freedom to make our choices, we don't have the freedom to choose our consequences. Or, as Dr. David Jeremiah said, you can choose the kicks, but you can never choose the kickbacks. I know many people who would say at this point, I'm my own person. I make my own decisions, my own choices. Well, not entirely. Yes, you can make the choice as to what actions you are going to take, but once you make that choice and carry out those actions, you are no longer in control with regard to the consequences of your actions. In other words, you can choose the kicks, but not the kickbacks, or to put it as the Bible puts it, you will reap what you sow. We've said it before, let me say it again. I can choose to jump off a high building. I can't choose whether or not I hit the ground. I can choose to smoke cigarettes for 20 years. I can't choose whether or not I get cancer. I can choose to put my hand in the fire. I can't choose whether or not I get burned. And on and on it goes. Of all the choices that you're going to make in life, None is more important than whether you are going to use your life to serve God or use it to live for your pleasures. In other words, the only thing that matters in life is whether or not you are going to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and use the rest of your life to serve Him and live for Him or are you going to reject Christ and use the rest of your life to live for yourself. Whether you realize it or not, that choice is the most important choice you'll ever have to make because that is the only choice that carries with it eternal consequences. Receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, live for Him, you will have eternal life. Reject Christ, live for yourself, you are choosing eternal death and hell. And that's just all there is to it. And so when Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 8, 44, You were of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He no doubt had in mind how Satan lied to and murdered Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You know, you're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, he didn't murder them. They were still alive. You have to understand, when God said, in the day that you disobey me and eat the fruit of this tree, you're going to surely die, he wasn't talking about physical death, although their disobedience did, did set in motion the process of physical death. But what happened when they ate that forbidden fruit was they did die instantly, but they died spiritually and not physically. You have to understand when God first made us, Adam and Eve I'm speaking of, he made us in his image. God is a triune being, and he made man in his image. Spirit, soul, and body. We connected and communed with God spirit to spirit. That's how we uh, commune with Him. We worship Him spirit to spirit. 
When man sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, his spirit died. His nature was flipped upside down so that now the body was uppermost and the soul, which is the consciousness, lived to satisfy the body appetites. In that regard, man was reduced to a two-dimensional creature like the animal kingdom. Peter even says that there are unbelievers who are just acting like brute animals that need to be caught and destroyed. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what is born again is your spirit. And once your spirit is born again, you become a new creation, a creation that goes back to the beginning before the fall in a sense. Your nature is flipped right side up. Now it's spirit, soul, and body. The body is important, but shouldn't be all-consuming as a believer. God will take care of the body. He'll provide what you need to, 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 to live. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, right? Live at the level of the spirit. That's where we commune with God. That's how we worship God. Animals are two-dimensional creatures. They have a soul, they have a, they have a body, and a consciousness. They're alive. They can't commune with God. They can't worship God. Only man made in his image can do that and only redeem man and woman who have a spirit again. Very important. Eden, Garden of Eden, Eden means a luxury, a pleasure, a delight, and suggests that this garden was a paradise on earth. And so the story of mankind begins in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. That paradise was eventually forfeited through man's rebellion, and the story of mankind became paradise lost as man sinned and was driven by God from the garden, from paradise. The story could have ended there. God could have said, well, you had your chance. God could have gone to another planet somewhere in the cosmos and started all over again. But God in his great love didn't want to do that. God in his great love loved us so much that he came down to fix what we had broken. And as we read the book of Revelation, we read that the story of mankind will end with paradise restored. His redeemed humanity will live forever in a paradise called heaven. So guys, paradise lost became paradise found in the story of redemption. How? What happened? Well, in the original garden, Garden of Eden, man blew it. Another garden becomes central in the story of redemption. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane, where the Son of God came down from heaven, took on a body of flesh, and went on the night before his crucifixion to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed all night. And there he sweat drops of blood as every demon in hell was working on him to disobey his father's will and to save himself and forget about you and I. Don't go to the cross. You haven't done anything wrong. Just let these losers, uh, you know, have the consequence of what they did. But Jesus, he prevailed. The Bible says that he submitted to his Father's will and um, redeemed us. The next day he went to the cross, and that's when he died and redeemed us. Guys, Satan used the tree to kill man eternally. 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but God used the tree to restore life to man eternally. It's called the cross of Jesus Christ. Acts 5.30, the God of our fathers, speaking to these very uh, religious leaders, the apostles, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. And Paul said in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, hung on the tree on the cross and became sin for us. Guys, please don't misunderstand. He did not turn into sin. God is holy. God is righteous. He cannot become sin in the sense that Jesus turned into sin. What happened was the sinless Son of God had the sins of humanity laid upon him. He was the scapegoat. The one who had the sins of humanity laid upon him, and he bore the punishment. He bore the pain that we might be forgiven. Now look, <laughs> there's one more thing that Jesus implies in John 8:44 that I think we absolutely must talk about, since it involves the future of humanity. You might read it and pass right over it. As I was studying this, it stood out. And I felt like the Lord was saying, you need to focus on this. Jesus alludes to something very important. But he just moves on. The Pharisees, they weren't interested in truth. We are. The spirit of truth lives inside of us, who leads us into all truth as we study God's word. Let's read verse 44 again. You are of your father, the devil. And the desire, desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. The NIV translates the last part of verse 44. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, liar and the father of lies. Guys, when Jesus said that Satan was the father of lies... I don't believe he was claiming that Satan was the source of every lie ever spoken on the earth. Remember the context is false doctrine. False doctrine. The lies that Satan has gotten hum the human race to believe that will send them to hell. Yes, the Pharisees had embraced many of them, but so have many others. So have many others. When Jesus was talking to the Pharisees there, the context is he was, he was pre presenting truth and they were fighting him. They denied his deity. They rejected his messiahship. And they were not willing to listen to what he had to say, even though he made it clear many times the Father sent him and he only spoke what the Father told him to speak. Jesus Christ spoke truth, and the truth was, was the gospel was designed to set men and women free from the power of the devil so that they might be saved. That's the context. When the Lord Jesus Christ talked about Satan being the father of lies, I believe he had in mind one particular lie that has given birth to many different lies, many different false doctrines, all stemming from this one lie that Satan told Eve. This one lie is such an important lie to understand. It's such an important thing to understand. It's mentioned twice 
uh, in the New Testament, uh, uh, Romans 1.25 and 2 Thessalonians 2.11, those two passages refer to it as the lie. Not a lie, as in one of many, but the lie as the lie of lies or the mother of lies. Look, the world is full of lies. We understand that. But there's one lie that is the mother of all spiritual lies that the father of lies introduced into the human race in the Garden of Eden. A lie that before it's all over, listen to me, I'm not overstating this, a lie that before it's all over will have caused the spiritual death of billions and billions of people throughout the history of mankind upon the earth. It's a lie that has been growing and spreading ever since the Garden of Eden, and now it has reached its full ripeness and will, and will re be readily consumed by the people of this world in these last days. And I'm talking about the time just prior to Jesus' re his return to the planet Earth to establish his kingdom, a kingdom of truth. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Paul warns us about something we should all take to heart. 1 Timothy 4, 1, now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in the latter times, that's a re reference to the last days, in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and embracing doctrines of demons. Did you know that demons have doctrines? Doctrine means teaching. Do you know that demons are teachers? That's what the Bible's telling us. Demons are teachers. What do they teach? Hang on. Hang in there, okay? I'm going to tell you, not just yet. But these doctrines of demons have been embraced by many people. They are doctrines that the occultists and New Agers have called the cosmic gospel. The cosmic gospel. It's the same message that people have heard from extraterrestrials, you know, close encounters of the third kind. Close encounters of the first kind are spotting a UFO. Close encounters of the second kind are having tangible evidence they exist. Close encounters of the third kind is making contact with an alien being. Have you noticed how that the, this has been very interesting to me, how that the United States government, which has always denied UFOs, and anyone who has spotted them, well, that's just, you know, swamp gas, bouncing off the light of Mars, or I don't know what it is, you know, some goofy weather balloon thing, I don't know. They've always made light of it, people are nuts, they're just they're imagining things. Now all of a sudden, they're not only admitting that they have been known about these things for many years, they're releasing video footage of the UFOs that our pilots have spotted and recorded, encounters, now, not that they've talked to these beings, but they have this, these are close encounters of a, of a second kind where they have tangible proof now that there is something out there. They've got it on video. 
Why is this? Why, why is the government all of a sudden now coming clean on this? Because there are people in our government being manipulated by the devil who is telling them this is the time to release this information. Why? Because the devil wants to prepare people for what's coming. And extraterrestrials seem to play into that. I was telling First Service years ago, I think back in the 80s, there was that movie, maybe the late 70s, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right? And you remember how they made contact with this alien, okay, these alien beings. If you ever saw the movie, I'm going to go rent it again because I want to refresh my memory. But if you ever saw the movie, there was one scientist on there, a Frenchman, right, who was an expert uh, in UFOs. Well, that actor was actually, uh, he was playing the part uh, of an actual person. I mean, that, the, the person who that character was, was patterned after is a, uh, well, this is going back to the 80s now, uh, was, uh, he might be dead, was a man by the name of Jacques Vallée. Jacques Vallée, at that time, for over 20 years, he had been studying UFOs. And they used him, he was an expert, a total expert. They used him, uh, a, a character in this movie uh, that was taken from him. Jacques Vallée said something back in the 80s after 20 plus years of studying UFOs that, and I was a young Christian, made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Now remember, this guy's not a Christian. He's not a believer, he's a scientist. And here's what he said. Here's what an unbeliever scientist said after studying UFOs for 20 plus years. He said he didn't believe they were actually uh, aliens from another planet he believed they were projections from another dimension. These things can travel at incredible speeds and go 90 degrees. That's physically impossible. But any known laws of physics we, we understand. He said after all of his studies, he said these are not real objects, flying saucers, aliens from another planet. He believed that they were uh, projections from another dimension. And here's what he said that really got me preparing the human race for some ultimate deception that is yet too horrible for the human mind to comprehend. What? An, an unbeliever said that? I think he was a prophet, at least in that statement. This message is everywhere. Again, People are hearing it um, from contact with aliens. I believe they're demons. I believe Valet is right. They're not aliens from another planet. They're demons from another dimension. It's interesting. I was telling First Service, we, we, we have a couple in the church that went down to South America to visit a young lady, a student who had stayed in their home as an exchange student. They went down to visit her. She got saved in their home. And so I forgot where the town was. But this town had uh, an incredible concentration of occultism, a lot of folks into the occult. And they had so many UFO sightings in this particular town or area, they didn't even pay attention anymore. It seems that wherever there's a high concentration of occultism, there seems to be a high concentration of what we would call demon activity. 
Because as people open the door to the demonic, they let these demons come into our world and they bring with them their lies, deception, and they're preparing the human race for something so horrible that the human mind can't really comprehend it yet. We know what it is. The Bible talks about it. But this same message people have heard from extraterrestrials in seances while on LSD trips, which the Bible calls sorcery and forbids, in deep yoga trances, while practicing transcendental meditation out of Ouija boards, through mediums that are in contact with the spirit realm. These folks have no contact with each other, nothing in common. It's just that they're opening doors all over the place, different groups, different people, different pursuits, and they're opening the doors to the demonic, and the demo demons are feeding all these folks the same message. Whether you're talking about the cults or the occult, it's flooding into our world from dozens of different directions, all at the same time, proclaiming the same basic teaching message over and over with amazing consistency. This main line is made up of four tenets or doctrines that together make up the lie that Satan told Eve in the Garden of Eden. I believe, guys, that the very lie that caused the human race to fall in the beginning in the garden is going to be the ultimate lie, the ultimate spiritual deception that Satan is going to use against the human race in the end, right before Jesus comes back. I believe that this is the very lie that Satan introduced into the human race in the Garden of Eden. is going to be the lie the Antichrist will use to deceive the world when he comes on the world scene. The Bible tells us that a world leader will arise and unite the world in the one world government. We call this leader the Antichrist. The Bible also tells us that he will have a cohort named the false prophet. I'm sure that's not, he's not going to come wearing a t-shirt saying, I'm the false prophet. But, you know, the Bible calls him the false prophet. And together, the false prophet will unite the world in a one world religion. Now, these two become one at one point. The world government and the world religion merge where the Antichrist becomes God of a new religious movement that the false prophet is promoting. And anyone who doesn't worship the Antichrist is going to be martyred. And the only ones that will not worship the Antichrist and be martyred are believers who come to Christ during the tribulation period. Paul the Apostle tells us that the mystery of iniquity is already at work. In other words that Satan is already preparing the world to receive this lie and has been for the last 6,000 years. Again, what started in the garden in its embryonic state has now grown into full blossom. A lie that is like an evil tree spread throughout the entire world and people are partaking of its evil fruit and dying forever spiritually. Paul admonished us who are believers today not to be ignorant of Satan's schemes, devices. Because of that, I'd like to take next week to look at this lie in a little more detail. We've kind of touched on it, kind of gotten, I want to tell you what it is and uh, how it affects us, okay? And then I promise you, I will tell you how Abraham knew the gospel. Remember I, last week, for some reason I'm into these cliffhangers lately. It's just... <laughs> It, it's just that we can't get it all in in one. So I got to do a cliffhanger. 
but come on back next week and we'll talk about this uh, at length. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, Lord, that allows us to, uh, well, the truth sets us free. If we study your word, we will not be caught uh, up with darkness or Satan's lies. We will know the truth, and it will set us free from error. And Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to the earth to declare God's truth. And Lord, thank you that uh, you died that we might have a relationship with you once again. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to continue blessing these studies in your word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.